0: Welcome to this evening's episode of Atlantic Tales when we'll hear the story behind one of Ireland's only speciality organic coffee roasteries based in the Burren in County Clare. Brian O'Brien's parents were from Dublin but he was born and raised in Shannon. His father moved to Clare in the late 50s and worked in the Shannon industrial estate. After living and working overseas for many years, Brian and his partner Alan settled in Kilcorny in the Burren, where they run Onham Coffee, one of the first speciality coffee roasteries outside of Dublin. Brian has always enjoyed traveling, and that passion began soon after completing his education at the Comp in Shannon. I left very young. I I first went to Waterford. I did
1: a couple of years down in Waterford at the RTC, studying languages. From there, that took me to the UK, went to university, studied languages again. I lived in Denmark for five, six years and loved that. Met my other half, Alan, and uh, we've been happily married now since 2019, but together for 25 plus years. Do you know, I started my career the UK working for an airline again travel related and I, I guess you know if we think about maybe where I am today in terms of how does that bring me back to, to Claire, you know that the one I suppose common denominator with languages and with travel was also the love of coffee and by travelling you know discovering kind of um, new places, but new foods, new drinks, and and coffee was something I was really into from a very young age, from a very early age. Growing up in Shannon, you know, it was quite a cosmopolitan place to live, you know, certainly in the 70s, where you had a lot of people coming from the UK or from South Africa, you know, with the Beers. So in our small community in Drumgealy, I remember we had an English couple who had actually lived in Hong Kong, came to Shannon, subsequently ended up moving to, to Canada but in the 70s this lady Betty Smith I'll never forget her name good friend of my mom she lived a couple of doors down from us but she had a coffee percolator back in those days you know I don't know about your house but uh we certainly didn't have (laughs) anything far from it. but i remember going you know into betty smith's house with my mom and um you know probably sitting on my mom's knee like i was literally that young and of course they were having their coffee mornings having a chat over this this amazing percolator but for me i was completely obsessed with the smells and the sounds of this thing bubbling away in the corner and and um when This wonderful lady left Ireland. She basically gave us the coffee percolator as a going away gift, knowing that my whole family were obsessed with it, especially me. So, you know, in the late 70s, you know, I suppose most other houses, probably if they were lucky, had a a jar of instant coffee, which we also had, you know, but the percolator was very special and it came out kind of on special occasions, mostly at weekends. I remember, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s, my dad going to Beaulieu's, you know, for his beans and bringing them back and, you know, opening the bag up and freshly ground and using this percolator, and it it was, uh, for me, I suppose, um, it was the theatre of actually brewing that, yeah, got me
0: obsessed. (laughs) Between all the travelling and getting into coffee properly, the interest was always there. How did that transition take place?
1: We have family in Australia. We've spent a lot of time down there. Australia's got a very sophisticated food and drink market, and specifically coffee. I was working down there in 2013, I was um, after finishing my role in the UK. So I went down to join him. I've got a really good friend down there. And one of the things that we did whilst Stal was working was we went to visit some coffee roasters in, in Melbourne specifically. And that's really where the idea came from. I remember sitting in a uh, in a roastery after a tour um, of, of the actual roastery thinking, my God, you know, I've never been in anything like this before. Um, I've never seen anything like this in Ireland. And at that time I was living in Ireland, so I was, Absolutely looking for, what am I going to do? Living as remotely as we are, Pat, you know, I would have struggled to have probably found a job that would have allowed me to work from home. I would have had to have commuted. And I guess we had bought this house back in in 2011, 2012, not with the idea of of moving here full time. We had kind of thought maybe we'd started as a summer house and and eventually look to move home. That changed, of course, and we ended up here. And the house was being um, developed at that time. Um, and that's really where the opportunity came. I remember coming back to him, you know, um, in the hotel room that night saying, I f- had this incredible day telling him about uh, some of the roasters that we had met, some of the coffees that I had tasted. And I think Al being Al could see the absolute passion um, in my voice probably in my eyes and the excitement and kind of what i was talking about and uh, and i think look you know he said let's put a plan in place i, I would say in terms of the relationship you know i'm the dreamer in, in in the relationship alan is very much the planner the organizer and so for him the dream has got to be backed up by <laughs> something something more and so you know he said to me look go away put a plan in place think about how you're going to do it and come back to me and then we'll talk and, and that's exactly what I did. Um, it was about finding a school where I could learn to roast. It was about finding a tutor or a mentor who could actually teach me more about coffee. Um, and, and there was a huge amount to learn. Coffee is, is um, a huge science and there's a lot of chemistry involved. Um, and, and also one of the things that I needed to demonstrate very early on was that I had a palate. Um, I never um, knew how you could measure that. You know, how how do you how can you tell yeah. if you've got a good palate or not? Well, actually, I met a, an amazing guy, happens to be a Dane, Morten um, Muncho is his name, and Morten is a coffee chemist from the University of Copenhagen. So he uh, not only taught me to, to roast, but also had a series of tests that he was developing um, to measure um, sensory evaluation, so measuring people's palates. Um, I was one of his guinea pigs because he was still kind of in trial stages. Um, so his path and my path kind of converged at a, at a, at a really interesting time. Um, and Morton went on to become um, now a world famous coffee consultant. He, he engages with coffee roasters from all over the world in terms of and getting them up and running in terms of, of um, improving their, the quality of what they are actually doing. And he was uh, a mentor to me, to, to get me up and running. One of the things I understood very early on from coming back to Ireland was the fact that most of the, the coffee that I tasted in Ireland pretty much tasted the same. It was roasted very dark, it was very bitter. Needed probably two spoons of sugar and a gallon of milk, which was actually very normal for the Irish palate at that particular time instant coffee was probably the only point of reference that most people had or maybe they might have tried one of the American chains but it was always a 16 ounce gallon of, of coffee with hazelnut syrup to, to try and, and sweeten it but the quality of what was being served here wasn't particularly good and so for me there was an opportunity there to perhaps take some of the coffee that, that I had been drinking from roasters you know, all over the world and and to try and and perhaps bring that to to an Irish market. But I had no idea how to do that. Uh, I wasn't trained in any way, shape or form. The very first thing I did in in, in terms of, you know, I, I had this mad idea, this mad notion, I came back to Alan one night and said, "You know what? I have an idea that I think you know could work. I think there's an opportunity here for for me to start learning how to to roast coffee in the the way that I like it." Um, it's one thing to have an idea, but it's another thing to try and make that idea into into a reality. And 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 that took a lot of work and it took a lot of time. I would say the idea probably came into our head maybe 2013, and we really didn't start roasting as a business until late 2015. So
0: it took over two years. Did you ever imagine in your life that what was a hobby for many years could become your life, very much your life?
1: Not really. No. I mean, I never set out with the dream of becoming a coffee roaster, absolutely not. But I think life takes you on a journey and you just go with it. You know, I never expected to live in London for as long as I did. I guess I've always been an opportunist in some respects. And for me, look, Claire has always been home. So I'm very happy that you know, I get to, to do something that I love, that it's so much more than a hobby to me now. It's, it's, it's my profession. But I guess, you know, I've often read of people saying, you know, if you, if you love what you, you work at, you know, you never work a day in your life. Now we work seven days a week, <laughs> so yeah. certainly we work a lot and, and we work long hours, but when you're doing something you love, you know, I'm still learning. I get excited when I have locals who are starting to kind of get what I'm about, you know, and, 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 and that drives me, that motivates me. I think, you know, one of the things that we, that I try to do from very early on you know, being based where we're based, it's quite an unusual location. It's not an easy location to do business from. And so much of, of what Annam Coffee is about is, is really our sense of place. You know, the name was very deliberate, Annam meaning soul in the, the Irish language. And um, it's inspired by John O'Donoghue, who is from fenor not too far away. Peter, his nephew, works with us but John's outlook towards life well, you know was was such a beautiful outlook um, that helped me during some kind of darker times in my life and i suppose that the name kind of resonates not only is it a sense of place but it's also about the ethos of the business it wasn't just about buying a roaster
0: no coming in and thinking i can do
1: this so look, the very first initial step was seeking out how can i roast how, how can i learn to roast um, and there was a school in london that i went to um, uh, and from there um, you start to understand okay um, how to roast? What equipment is needed? And um, what skill sets are needed? You also, you know, um, develop a cohort. You know, there was only four of us on that program. Three of us are still roasting and, and roasting commercially and successfully. And then from there, um, it's about taking those ideas back here to, to Claire, to the local enterprise office uh, in Ennis, uh, who were fantastic in terms of encouraging my idea and actually put some structure behind what became a feasibility study um, and the feasibility feasibility study really was to test the market. It was for me to go away, roast some coffee, identify who my target market would be and start knocking on doors, getting people to taste and the type of coffee that I wanted to Um, introduce um, and to see if there actually was a market before we went ahead to to invest and that was incredibly valuable because it was a a low to medium risk strategy that if the feasibility study failed we weren't going to be massively out of pocket other than having invested time and i suppose you know limited money in, in in training the feasibility study probably lasted about six months and really from from there we identified that there was a huge appetite for buying local um, here in in Clare at the time And, and I suppose we also were able to identify you know which cafes, restaurants, hotels you know would be potentially interested and to be able to go back Um, to the local enterprise office and to the bank for that matter and to be able to write a business plan based on the fact that we had 20-30 letters of intent from customers who signed on a piece of paper that yes they really liked what we were doing yes they would absolutely buy here are the volumes that they would by on a weekly or on a monthly basis, you know, and from there we were able to, to kind of demonstrate there's a business in this. We couldn't have done that without the local enterprise office state. They, they very much guided that whole piece of work. They put structure behind the business plan. They helped us get funding, uh, not only from uh, Enterprise Ireland, but, but equally from the bank and that really got us going Um, and then it was the big job of okay how much money do we need to invest how much have we got ourselves and if there's a gap you know where do we get the rest of that money from approaching the bank with the support of the local enterprise office was was a massive help because back again in in 2014 you know credit was not as easily available as perhaps you could argue it is today you know we were still in um, what was a very difficult economic environment but i think What was happening was that the consumer in terms of how they spend was far more um, interested in buying local and supporting local and actually willing to pay more for something that was produced locally that was better quality Um, and that was an opportunity
0: for us. Coming up we'll hear more of the story behind Annam Coffee and meet co-owner Alan Coleman. Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. Located in a valley in the heart of the Burren is Anum Coffee, one of the first speciality coffee roasteries established outside of Dublin. Plans for the new business were years in the making, and a feasibility study proved there was a demand for speciality coffee, and local businesses also committed to supporting the new venture. With the help of the local enterprise office in Clare, the time was right to finally get Annam Coffee off the ground. Brian O'Brien and Alan Coleman had bought a home in the Burren and settled on operating their roastery from there.
1: We were lucky in that our home here in Kilcorny has a number of outbuildings, one of them we converted into a purpose-built roastery. It was again a low-risk strategy for us in that if it didn't work, you know, at least we weren't having to to lease somewhere. The equipment um, and the building was our own and perhaps, you know, we could change it's used to, to something else. We developed what was a car garage and essentially which is what you see today into what is now a purpose-built roastery. What that needed was insulation because coffee and green coffee that we we buy so we buy the raw product it comes from all over the world but it needs to be stored at an ambient temperature of about 15 degrees providing it's stored at an ambient temperature you know it will last the quality of it will will last and so we needed to insulate the the building we also needed to ensure that the humidity levels in the building were at about 60 percent. so taking all of that into account with such a small footprint it was it was relatively cheap and fast to put that together were we to have gone into more of a commercial premises and an industrialist state, you know, we would have had to have converted what was already an existing premises that was owned by somebody else and um, there would have been a risk even in doing that. Um, Because even then, having had our feasibility study. We still needed to start roasting the first coffees. We still needed to to get our first customers. We still needed to get our first orders coming in. And there was a huge amount of money going out without very much coming in. In fact, there was nothing coming in.
0: But but you were confident, Brian, because the feasibility studies showed that this could be successful. So there must have been a
1: confidence there. Absolutely. Look, the letters of intent were hugely motivating for me. And equally, Pat, you know, when you as an entrepreneur take a risk, not only with your own finances, but with your family's finances. Sometimes you have no choice but to make it work. And you know, we surrounded ourselves by other entrepreneurs who at that time were doing other mad, daft things. (laughs) Um, you know and some other great successful businesses here in Clare we had great support for example from Brigita from the Byrne Smokehouse who's who's up the road from us in Lisztu Varna we had great encouraging support from Sadie and from Ralph from the Byrne perfumery so there were established businesses who had taken risks themselves to start businesses that we could I suppose look up to who were very encouraging of, of us and not all of our friends and family were encouraging in fact many of them were like what the hell are you doing you know, you know what are you doing back home, you've given up your career and your pension and your company car to have mad notions of becoming a coffee roaster in, and said, in the middle of nowhere. You don't understand. <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, um, Dreamers are dreamers for a reason um, and, and uh, not everybody in life gets a chance to fulfill their, their dreams, you know, and, and um, I'm very lucky in that I had a, a partner who believed in, in what I wanted to achieve from very early on. As I said, we surrounded ourselves with positive people and you have no choice but to make it work. In
0: terms of equipment then, what did you have to get and install so you could get this off the ground so
1: that's probably one of the scariest bits it was the single biggest piece of capital investment and again we took our time and we had to we had to buy a coffee roaster a coffee roaster is a, a big piece of equipment there are many different types of coffee roasters and there are manufacturers who are based all over the world and we did our homework in terms of the roaster that we we wanted. So the roaster itself that we selected is called Gießen and it's a Dutch company. They're a small family business. We like the idea of of working with the small family business who we felt we might mean something to them. The roaster itself is built um, entirely from cast iron so it's very solid as a, a piece of equipment and the reason we selected it was that it has an ability being cast iron to hold the heat and so it's very consistent in terms of when we roast pretty much acts the same way and there were a lot of cheaper versions of the same equipment available from Asia and from other markets but it's one of the best decisions we we made to go with this particular roaster it's been incredibly durable also we got a very good piece of advice early on from other roasters who had been on a similar journey as I mentioned earlier, you know, we had a cohort um, that we roasted with, some of whom were ahead of us in their journey to, to start their own business. And, and what every single one of them said to me was, you know, for God's sake, if you can afford it, go with the next size up from the roaster that you thought you would need. Yeah. And the reason for that is that you will need an ability to scale fairly early on. And roasting, you know, as a, as a roll is quite labor intensive. Um, So each batch that we roast each each batch of beans um, takes anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. Today we're roasting, for example, we put 12 kilos into the roaster of, of raw green coffee and we get about 10 kilos back out. If you're roasting 10 kilos per batch and that takes 15 minutes, there's a limit in terms of how many batches that you can do before you have to stop Clean the roaster out it's quite a significant fire hazard and because the byproduct from the raw coffee is something called silver skin it's a chaff and um, that's highly flammable so you can really only do about 12 batches at a time before you have to stop the whole process so you, you can roast on this particular roaster we can ma- roast a maximum of say 12 batches 120 kilos before we have to stop production clean the whole roaster out and start again now that process takes 20, thirty minutes it's not too laborious but it's time consuming If you were on a smaller roaster it would be you your, absolutely your, your, your production would be would be even less and in the beginning you know it was quite scary putting ten kilos in when we had orders for two <laughs> you know and we are thinking. How are we gonna sell the rest of the coffee? And that came very, very quickly. I have to say, when we, when we started, there was a real buzz around what we were doing, and we also developed a website at the very same time as starting the, the wholesale business. We developed the business plan, and the business plan had looked at different channels where we felt there was an opportunity. Wholesale, you know, selling to cafes and restaurants was was one particular channel, but online was also a significant channel that didn't really exist in Ireland at that time, but that we saw had been working in other markets. I, for example, living in London, used to buy coffee online from a roaster in the UK. So I knew how it worked and being a customer, and I, I wanted to introduce something like that here. And again, the enterprise office were fantastic at supporting us with an online trading voucher, which subsidized um, the cost of getting our website developed and up and running. And that was incredibly powerful in the very beginning because it's it's a different channel, Pat, In the online channel meant that there was money coming into us before we sent coffee out. Whereas on the wholesale side, you're sending coffee out, but you're also sending the coffee out with an invoice with the expectation that you're going to be paid, but that could be anything from a week to two weeks to four weeks. And so, you know, you're having to, to subsidize your own wholesale market. So having a channel like the online, which which meant we had cash coming in, really sustained us in the very early days. How do you source the coffee? How do you go about that? So I would say that's ongoing. Annam Coffee, we've really built our brand around sourcing seasonally. So there are many countries that grow coffee, but there are harvests that take place all throughout the year, but not at the same time. So for example right now we have coffee from Colombia, from Guatemala and from Honduras, all of which um, was harvested about six months ago. Um, It's sent on containers to Europe and we typically get coffee that between four to six months post harvest and um, but the coffees are fresh they're super fresh um, and that's important to me as a roaster because um, they've got a moisture content which allows me to draw out their particular unique flavors and, and sweetness there are approximately four coffee harvests a year all taking place in different parts of the world the summertime we'll be buying in coffee for example from Africa from Tanzania from Kenya from Ethiopia and I love the fact that we never typically have the same coffee all of the time it's constantly dynamic it's constantly changing. We source today from two different wholesalers who buy coffee on our behalf. They're based in Europe and we are the only speciality coffee roaster in Ireland who exclusively roasts organic coffee. So all of our coffees are 100% certified organic, they're all uh, Arabica, so they're a really high-grade, high-quality um, coffee. We're too small today to import coffee directly from coffee-growing regions of the world. The organic certification would make it way too complex. And so what we do is we work with smaller wholesalers who probably share our ethos in terms of sourcing seasonally, but more importantly than that, um, sourcing ethically. So it's fair to say we're not cheap, and actually we're proud of the fact that we're we're not cheap. The coffees that we buy typically we pay a lot for. We pay a lot more than, for example, a fair trade coffee. Organics um, by their nature are expensive um, and very labor-intensive to grow fertilization of of coffee bushes takes place by hand, weeding takes place by hand, and there's no chemical fertilization taking place so it's it's quite a, a labor intensive process and quite expensive but the end result of that is that you get coffees that are far superior and and that's very much our market we are very small and to compete we try and be high quality uh, and to do things properly and being small also allows us I guess to be very discerning about the coffees that we buy
0: Alan Coleman is an accountant by profession and worked both in small practice in Ireland and later with a larger firm in London. After six years with KPMG, Alan took up a position with a travel company that had offices in over 140 countries and an annual turnover of over $3 billion. He had a large number of staff working for him in what was a hectic and often stressful
2: job along with brian alan is now co-owner of annum coffee i met brian when i was in london and we had a home there in london which we both enjoyed during our 20s and 30s london's a great city great nightlife great social life it's a great location to actually travel around the world you've got connections to many places and brian when he worked with the british airways got some concessions which meant we could travel and we did we did travel the world So we both decided London wasn't for us Um, a lot of our friends were leaving London and and we, not saying we grew tired of it, but uh, we wanted something different and so we started to think about where could we, where was our next move to Uh, and we explored different options. We even explored quite heavily the option of moving to Australia so I got a visa to, because of my profession, to, to emigrate to Australia and we did try it but we decided it wasn't really for us. And then we started to look more and more about returning to Ireland. And we were fortunate in that with Brian from Shannon, a lot of our visits when we came, we were back quite a lot to, to see his parents, family. But anytime we came, we'd always go for a, we'd also go for a trip or we'd take a few days that we'd, we'd explore the West Coast. And we always nearly ended up coming to the Burren, uh, And it was someplace that we, we both loved from, from the early days of our relationship. The opportunity then came um, when we decided actually this was time to, to come back to Ireland uh, and so this was probably around 2010-2011 that we decided that you know it was, it was time to come back and we started looking for places to live and we were fortunate that this location came up and this house came up and we were just there at the right place at the right time. Uh, we both fell in love with it, fell in love with the area, and we decided to purchase the property. It needed some renovations, and that's, you know, we spent a lot of time and effort working out what we needed to Restored a property, uh, so at the time I was still working in London, um, and I continued to work in London up until 2019. So when Brian started out in this adventure coffee roasting business, I I supported him from afar in many cases. We're fortunate in the location that we're here; we're close to Shannon Airport, uh, so I could get the uh, first flight out on a Monday morning and then come back on either a Thursday or a Friday evening. Um, and spend the weekend and my weekends then when Brian started this adventure was primarily helping out with the with the business at the startup you know the initial phase my role in a lot of this is you know from a finance background was was helping with business plans helping with costings helping with planning um, and putting a lot of those um, things in place and supporting him um, to, to sort of set up this business. Having a finance background was a big help and you know initially when we were exploring this business we did look at options for sites elsewhere. What did we actually need? And at the time what, where our roastery is now was actually a garage and it wasn't really in a, a, a very usable state at all. We looked at more sites that had you know water, electricity, three-phase electricity and and, and and so forth which is what you know ultimately mm-hmm. you need for for operating the business that we do but we explored we looked at the options and actually we found that this one was more the most economical way of doing it and there's nothing better than actually being able to work from home yeah. um, which and is here it's beautiful here it is a, is mm-hmm. a great advantage that we have we as you will see we also have lots of space and lots of things so we do have space for expansion but at the moment it, the size suits. I know if we have more space what we'll end up doing is having more storage space and actually it, it forces us to actually operate a very lean operation in having limited space. A bit of a
0: balancing act of it, it?
2: It can be, yes. Um, you know we ideally a lot of the, you know, to, to operate as efficiently as, as possible you you sort of have to buy a lot of stuff in bulk, get the most benefit of price discounts, but also having enough stock on hand to satisfy demand. But you have to balance that with the cash flow needed to invest in, in that. Uh, so the limited space is is helps enforcing you to make the decisions about what exactly you need and how much you can you can stock, which actually has been quite Useful in, in sort of keeping us quite quite lean, efficient, and limited investment. Therefore, in working capital, it appears to be the perfect partnership. Yourself and Brian. I think <laughs> of when you're in interaction with Brian, as Brian has the passion. Um, I came to this. I didn't like coffee. I was not a coffee drinker. It was only on this journey I went to coffee tastings and coffee roasts that I was like, I need to just start to taste it because otherwise I'm just standing here just listening to to this. I need to sort of get engaged Engaged, with it. And what I started to discover was I could, you know, some of this coffee was was actually quite interesting and quite quite enjoyable. And what I discovered out of all of this is what I didn't like was I didn't like bad coffee. <laughs> and it was actually this journey of an, of really um, looking at specialty coffee, looking at the, the, the different varieties that you actually discovered actually good coffee is an enjoyable drink. Um, How did you survive in a big office with all those people in a stressful job without coffee? It's probably good that I didn't drink it at that <laughs> point. I, 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 looking back a lot of my colleagues that's what they the first thing they would have to have in the morning was their uh, espresso coffee and you know even during the day they'd be dealing with that i was fortunate you know as a stressful job in that I was able to manage that stress in, in, in other ways. But, but even now, I, I would only have one or two coffees a day.
0: Well, when I arrived, you were coming back from a long walk on the barn with the dog. So that's obviously your way of dealing with, uh, exactly. with the stress. Uh, coffee for some people, of course, as well. Did you ever think, all those years ago, in the very busy, stressful job you did have, that you'd find yourself in this
2: location doing this, roasting coffee? Uh, no, no, clearly not, I think. But it is a, it is a dream and a, a blessing to be here. And every day I wake up, now whether it, it's a good day like it is today, it might be a bit nippy, but it's, it's fresh. It's just still, it's alive but even on wet days there's nothing there's nowhere better than than being here and i love just getting out with the dogs and there's always something different happening around the area and uh, the, just just the, the being involved in nature i something i've always always loved and it's a dream to be able to actually live here we're very fortunate you're getting to like coffee or tasting coffee all the time y- yes i i do um, it's lucky that, I, you know, given what we do and given giving Brian's passion that I've, I've, I've found a love for it. And it is, I love now is anywhere we go, where we visit, whether it's a, a short city break or, or even going, you know, um, uh, to any part of Ireland, we'll always Brian will always look out uh, Where's a good coffee shop nearby to try out what the, the local the local coffees that you, you have in type? Of. And it's 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 great to, to try different things to to taste, to compare, to learn. You know it's it's interesting. Being a small business, everyone is hands-on, everyone And you were packing coffee earlier as well, and Claire is roasting and Brian will go roasting shortly. Yes, look, it is is hands-on. Everything about it is, we have to get involved in everything. The mundane and cleaning that roaster to, as you said, packing to labeling, it does suit us. It gives us the flexibility to do it at times that suits us and actually then get some time back so we can have a good work-life balance. You know, but we do have, staff so we have we've two, Peter and Claire work during the week and we try you know part of my role is actually working out the the planning and logistics about who's going to do what how it's the best use of their time and to get as much as we need to do every week in the shortest space of time as possible so that all of us get some time back that we can actually spend with family and out here in this lovely part of the world.
0: The courier will be here a little later on You'll be sending off packages.
2: what is your market? Is it Ireland is it overseas is it everywhere? The primary market is Ireland, and our biggest customers are primarily local coffee shops and restaurants in the vicinity of Clare Galway Limerick and and Mayo so it is primarily west coast you know and they the cafes and, and restaurants they they 're the ones that showcase our coffee and, and they're our they're primary market that we'll we do so our biggest every week we will roast on a Monday so that we can send out the coffee to our customers on the Tuesday so we will send and it's probably 50-50 between what we go with deliveries from using DPD to actually deliveries we make ourselves in our van and that's good that it gives us an opportunity to actually interact with the with our customers and you know and see what get any feedback that they have but also make sure that the coffee is working in as, as best in, as, it, as it should be. We do have an online presence, which has been particularly great, especially during the pandemic. It was the coffee shops closed, and people were at home, our, our online was, a, was our only means of selling our coffee and our customers are primarily spread out all over Ireland, mostly Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, yeah. with, a, with a few spattering in the UK, some from the US uh, and some on mainland Europe. But those customers from the US or from uh, the UK had some connection with the Burren. So they've come here on the holidays. They've gone to some of the cafes. They've enjoyed the coffee. They may even have shown up at the, the roastery. They found us somewhere. <laughs> and they may have shown up here. And uh, There's a sort of connection. Um, and our, our customers tend to be repeat customers. So we recognize the names, we recognize what coffee they like. And in many cases, we can grind the coffee to, to suit what, how they grew their, their coffee, so that it, we get to know them, which is great. And it's, especially as the coffee's change throughout the season, because we have a good relationship with the, a lot of the customers, we can really guide them as regards what coffee would, they would most like.
0: Coming up. We'll hear more about the all important raw materials Brian and Alan use and meet trainee roaster Claire Henegar. <laughs> Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. Brian O'Brien has enjoyed an epic life journey based on the love of coffee. A self-confessed coffee geek, he grew up in Shannon and always drank coffee at home. He remembers playing with a coffee percolator at a young age, fascinated by the aroma and the theatre of brewing. His love of coffee continued to evolve until he decided he wanted to make it his life and his living. Coffee roasting has taken him all over the world, both in training and in sourcing, and finally he launched his own range of coffee along with his partner, Alan. Master roaster Brian is very particular about the raw materials he uses for Annam coffee. So typically we'll go to France or go to Holland
1: twice a year to cup coffees, to taste coffees, to select coffees and um, that are new, that are in harvest, that are very much our style. The the guys that we work with now probably understand what it is we're looking for. And actually, just recently um, in January, um, we were lucky enough to spend three weeks in Tanzania, in East Africa, visiting uh, coffee farms that we hope to buy from later this year. And it's important for us to understand exactly where our coffee comes from and the people behind who who actually grow our coffee. It's important that the coffee is being grown um, in a particular way. It's also important that the workers who are picking that coffee are being treated fairly. You can read about it, but to actually experience it firsthand was amazing. It was quite an emotional trip for me, actually, particularly, um, because it was really my first ever time in a coffee farm seeing a coffee tree i can't describe how exciting that was but also how do i how do i put this I, I get the impression
0: it was important to you you could have still trusted your supplier yeah but to get out there on the ground how important was that to go to tanzania and see the process from growing the bean
1: incredibly important i think you know i take my role as a roaster very seriously and a part of my role as a roaster is really to um, tell I'm a storyteller as well as a, a coffee creator but the stories that i tell are about the growers and and the conditions under which they grow coffee's a very murky world and there's a lot of bad coffee out there there's a lot of middlemen and there are a lot of growers who are not being paid properly i wanted to make sure that the coffees that we buy were as ethical as as they could be for me to to also spend time with a coffee farmer to encourage them to continue to do the work that they do was incredibly important because for so many of them and um, they're growing coffee under quite difficult conditions and i wanted to motivate them to inspire them um, to tell them that i can't in the roastery sell enough. The, the market is, is growing in Ireland specifically for organics. One of the things we learned from, from meeting with some of the growers, you know, they grow not only coffee, but they'll grow banana trees. They'll grow papaya, they'll grow avocado. The yield that they're getting from banana tree is maybe 10 times what they're getting from a coffee tree. It's a lot easier for them to grow and sell bananas than it is to grow coffee. What they found particularly powerful from our trip was teaching them about the market that we sell in, getting them excited about the fact that, you know, we have a customer base who are willing to pay more for coffees that are grown organically. And it was really just to motivate them to continue to invest in, in growing coffee. And there's a huge piece of work still to be done. So w- one of the follow-ups, for example, is, is you know, we, we um, We saw in Tanzania that the coffee harvest takes place between um, September to December. We plan to go back at coffee harvest and we'll help out. You know, we'll get our hands dirty, we will harvest. And it's important for me, for example, when I'm buying coffee that we're buying coffee that's ripe. So I want to see how harvest actually takes place. But I also want to help influence the growers to pick and harvest only the ripest. And I equally want to make sure that they're being paid properly for doing the manual labour that they
0: need to do. Claire Henegar is from Limerick. A qualified archaeologist, she was no stranger to the Burren. She studied in Galway and spent much of her time investigating Bronze Age settlements in the Burren. Like many invalid noughties, Claire was forced into a career change. Another coffee lover, she is now a very passionate trainee roaster with Anum Coffee.
3: I was very lucky that I got to work in archaeology professionally for a little while and then the recession hit and that was the end of that. I had to look for another job and I've always loved coffee and I'd worked in cafes while I was in college. So I started looking for jobs and I got a job with a coffee company as a barista trainer. So they trained me up basically and I got to work with them for a number of years. Got to travel lots with coffee. It was just great and I've worked here locally then since then. Like in Ballyvahan, I've worked in the cafes in Ballyvahan and I've worked in in um, a as well so it was great to kind of be in the coffee business but be local as well. Um, I'd been doing coffee training for Brian and uh, he asked me then to come on board here. He needed help with roasting and processing and stuff so I started here a year and a half ago and that's been fantastic.
0: <laughs> so you've had the love of coffee, you've yeah. served millions of cups of coffee yeah. and now you're making coffee.
3: Now I'm making coffee, yeah. So I've like for years, I've known how to make a good espresso, how to steam milk correctly. So it's just been great to see the other side of it. You know, to see how the green beans come in and the different types of beans and the different techniques that we use to enhance the natural flavors in the beans, and then to also see the importation of the green beans. You know, and that the the work that Brian does with sourcing those. So that's just been really, really interesting.
0: So how did you make the transition then to this being your full-time job? You're a roaster mm-hmm. or a trainee roaster.
3: So like I said, I was coffee training. So I was going into um, people people's cafes and just giving them the confidence basically to make proper espressos and to steam milk correctly and to make good drinks and I had been doing that for some of Brian's customers and then he just said he needed help so I came in and I've been learning under Brian how to roast coffee and but also how the processing side of the coffee business works you know how it gets from green to roasted into a bag to out to the customer. So that's been really interesting. And then I've also, I've been really, really lucky that I'm still continuing to train. So when our customers need help, they need a bit of confidence or they're not exactly sure how to calibrate their coffee machine and their equipment correctly, then I'll go out. So I get to kind of see the whole, all aspects of the coffee business. So I get to see from green to the end product to it going out to people's homes, and people coming into our cafes to have a cup of coffee.
0: So not just in the roastery It's not just
3: in the roastery, yeah, I'm really lucky I get to see all of it.
0: In the roastery, and you Mm -hmm. mentioned, Claire, how the bean is green when it arrives here. Yes. The process from the consignment arriving from Tanzania or from your supplier, Mm wherever it might be, the green bean, what is the process then?
3: So when it comes in, one of the first things we'll do, especially when it's a new coffee, is we'll check the humidity of it. So we have a little machine that will tell us The water content basically of the coffee bean and that's one of the things that will determine our approach to the coffee the other thing will be the bean itself so where it comes from it's very similar to grapes and wine so depending on the type of bean and there's lots of different species of coffee bean and then where it's from so if it's African if it's Ethiopian if it's Kenyan Rwanda that's going to be one of our new coffees next year Um, and hopefully Tanzania by the end of the year, or if it's Colombian like we have at the minute, or Guatemalan or Honduran, that will all alter the flavor of the bean. So we can't adjust the flavor of the coffee bean, we can only enhance the natural flavor. And that's what we do when we're roasting. So it's like different terroirs, depending where it's grown and the type of bean, we'll have a different flavor. And we're just trying to enhance that. So we either have a lighter, shorter roast, or we could have a darker, longer roast to either bring out the sweetness and the acidity sometimes or for the body for a, you know if you want it as an espresso or you want it for a cafeteria at home we might roast it a little darker a little longer and so we will adjust it depending on what the coffee method will be it Seems to be very scientific it is quite scientific yeah yeah there's a lot more to it once you get to know the beans and we listen to our customers a lot you know we we take their feedback on board sometimes they might find it that the bean is difficult to calibrate we might have to roast it a little bit darker so it's more soluble so it's easier to calibrate things like that you know or when it's going out to people in their homes we look and see oh this bean will be better as a cafetière, you know as a plunger instead of maybe um AeroPress, which would be which would have a much finer grind so then we'll roast it a certain way depending on how the intended uses at home.
0: It's very hands-on. Apart from the roaster, much other technology, computerization, how does it all work?
3: Well, we're quite small, so we do, the roaster is a big piece of equipment. Once the coffee is roasted, we have to leave it rest. So we give it about a week to degas because once it's roasted, there's a lot of gases that leave like carbon dioxide, which will make it very volatile and very difficult to calibrate if you're trying to grind it yourself at home. So we normally leave it rest, leave it degas, And then we look at what we need to do for the day. So if it's green bean or if it's just bean, it will go straight into a bag, a 250 gram bag or a 1 kg bag. But then if it needs to be ground, we have two different grinders. So we have one that will grind it extra fine. So for espresso, for your maca pot, for your AeroPress. And then we have another one that will do for the more coarser grinds like your cafetière. And so it goes, goes into both of those and we grind it as requested by the customer and then we pack that and we ship it out.
0: From talking to Brian and indeed Alan, I know there's a lot of passion there. You're very passionate about this too.
3: Yeah, I love coffee. Um, ever since I was a little girl, I've loved coffee. I remember rushing home from school before my mom got home from work so I could make <laughs> myself a cup of coffee. Um, so it's always been something and like from Limerick, Limerick is such a vibrant coffee community. It, I loved watching the spread of it like in the last 20 years coffee has just grown and we've learned so much about it, from your Nescafe instant coffee up to the speciality coffee houses now in Limerick and it's just it's been incredible to see that grow and now you know we've got it in the west of Ireland like we have some amazing customers that are really passionate about their coffee so we're very lucky that we get to work with them as well
0: it's a great excitement when a new coffee comes in
3: yes I couldn't wait to get back to work after Christmas. We were closed for January and I was so excited to come back because we were roasting two new coffees. So we have a lovely new Colombian that's come in that we're roasting now and that's been sent out since last week and really delicious Guatemala. And I'm really looking forward to the coming season, uh, coffee is seasonal as well, so it changes with the seasons. For the winter time we tend to roast a little bit darker, we, ha- we get coffees in that suit that roast and then in the summer, the spring, the summer, we're looking for lighter ones, so we're getting um, a lovely Ru- Rwandan coming in now after this, so that will do us for the summer, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's
0: all about soul, it's all about faith and a deeper devotion. Okay, Brian, we've stepped into the roastery and this is the geese that you mentioned earlier. And you were very particular about the machinery you got for the process. Tell me what the geese is doing. This is the roaster.
1: Yeah, she's a beautiful piece of kid, right? It almost looks in the style of an old train or a train engine, but these would have been the style of roasters that would have been used in Europe 100, 150 years ago, obviously with far more modern technology now. But what's happening is we're basically heating the bean. We uh, start roasting the bean at about 200 degrees this particular bean, we finish at about 210. Um, and we're taking really the sweetness on the inside of the bean out. We're cooking it very gently. You can see it's like a rotisserie inside and it's all fired by bio LPG. So it's, it's an environmentally friendly process. What's happening now is the beans have been dropped into the cooling tray. They'll be taken from 210 degrees down to room temperature in about four minutes, um, which then really allows us to go to the next stage of the process. And the next stage of the process is uh, the destoner, which is sitting right beside the, the coffee roaster. And what we'll do is we'll literally destone the beans. So literally what that's going to do is just remove any kind of defects that might be actually in the coffee itself. You'd be surprised we find small, tiny little chips of, of concrete sometimes or stones in, in the actual coffee. Very hard to see it before it's actually roasted. Funnily enough, it, it almost looks very similar to the, the raw coffee bean itself. But this de-stoner um, will take out kind of any, any foreign matter that's, that's actually in the coffee. And that's really the final process before we actually package. So one of the things with coffee is that oxygen and water and sunlight are its enemy. So uh, we try and make sure that as soon as the coffee is roasted, it's stored, it's sealed, it's packaged, and it's, it's in top, top condition. This coffee, albeit that it's roasted today, won't properly be used for at least a week it needs time to actually degas. it's still releasing co2 and um, we'll have this ready for customers to go out and they'll use it probably from next weekend so we're always kind of roasting a week in advance You're very conscious that you use organic coffee. Why is that and why is it so important? We made a a decision very early on in evolution of the business to solely source um, organic. But I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that we are based in the barn. It's a a sensitive area of conservation. Equally, we wanted to make sure that the beans that we were buying were being grown organically. And there's a lot of chemical fertilization used. And there's a lot of chemical residue left on coffee coffee that's non-organic I have an autoimmune condition myself which meant that I've always tried to drink organic and source organic food so I just you know I wanted it to represent everything that we value and, and, and it's, it's very much how, how we would shop and how we would buy ourselves but also even our materials you know our materials are, are 100% biodegradable and that was something that took us nearly two years to, to implement we spent a lot of time in research in, in developing our packaging even down to the glue that we use Use is a food-based glue. The ink that we use is a, a, a food-based ink so that our footprint here is as small as it, as it needs to be. There's a huge potential for rural businesses to thrive in Ireland but there's a responsibility on us also to make sure that we minimize our footprint on
3: this wonderful place we call home.